Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The penultimate week in the European group stages. This weekend that it saw Saracens through. Exeter give themselves a chance and the Scottish teams continue to roar. Plus, Leinster, missing half their first team, still dominate on the big stage. Here to discuss it all with me is the Telegraph's Rugby Union correspondent, Mick Clear. Hello, Mick. Hello, Brian. What can you say? Pool 1, Leinster. No, Sexton, Keeney, Henshaw, O'Brien, Levy, Lowe or Turner. And still beat Toulouse. Yeah, well... Who've been in... Reasonably good they form. They have been good form. Back to uh, approaching kind of what they were, you know, all those many years ago when we used to uh, to uh, love going there and watching them play in particular. Now, I mean, Leinster. I mean, it's. Um, I'm just trying to cobble together a columnist over this week, and it's. Um, it's just this. If you get a condensation of talent as the Irish promises have, because there are only four Irish promises, three in the in the Champions Cup, and Ireland are going very very well as a national team. You're bound to get this sort of dominance, aren't you? Really, you know. And uh, same with, to a lesser extent, obviously with 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 Scotland, where um, you know, the two two teams and all the Scottish talent is in those two sides. So it, it's listen, Leinster are, are fantastic. You know, they're they're out in front for my mind. When they've got everyone together, yeah, and the bench that they can bring out, they're not far off international standard, are they? No, no, and it's a bit like. Uh, you know, it's a bit like New Zealand and Super Rugby. It's, you know, you, if you only have five teams of franchises feeding into your national team, you, you're just going to get a much smoother pathway and flow through, aren't you? But Leinster are also... It's, obviously, it's good players. You can't do anything without, without good players. But it's also good practice, you know. And Stuart Lancaster, ex-England, is, is the man who's, who's got an uh, enormous influence there in terms of the coaching and that good practice. And they're, they're, they're playing to, to their pedigree. What next do you think for Stuart? Well, that is a big, big question, really. He's, he's, God bless Ryanair. We're allowed to say Ryanair. We have, it'd just be interesting. I was talking the weekend. There's a Ryanair direct flight from Leeds Bradford into Dublin at very appropriate times all week. If that routing didn't exist, I wonder if Stuart Lancaster would have been at Leinster in the first place. So once you take those kind of practicalities, and I think that, that commute in all seriousness was very important for him because his kids, which are, who are now probably sixth form sort of ageing, they'll be through in a couple of years. So those home ties, I guess, won't be quite as restrictive. They might be, I've no idea. But I mean, I, I don't think... That, so therefore, he might be free. Club. Um, I, I think, well, obviously, listen, Eddie Jones's uh, time coming to an end in terms of his four-year kind of contract. You know, Andy Farrell's taken over Ireland. Stuart Lancaster, it'll be very, very difficult, I think, for either party, Lancaster or the RFU, to have an alliance again so soon, I think. I mean, Stuart was very, very, very bruised by the whole experience and, and, and understandably so. So I think he enjoys, having spoken to him a few times, he really enjoys, as do a lot of people, and we're speaking to Rob Baxter shortly, 
they actually enjoy that day-to-day, week-to-week, that sort of involvement, that accountability, that challenge. You know, you get it wrong one week, you've got to get it right the next week, and you've got a chance. International rugby is is a really testing sort of environment for a coach, and I'm not sure Stuart would relish getting back into that at this point. I may be wrong. Well, Bath and Wasps, not in contention, but the significant thing is that um, Jonathan Joseph could make a return. Now, too late for the World Cup squad, too late for Six Nations. Too late for the Six Nations, without a shadow of a doubt. It's it's, it's many months. Uh, Jonathan Joseph is one of the kind of, um, I don't know about sort of unfulfilled talents, because he's had a certain amount of success, but given what he has and what the potential he had all those years back, I don't think he's quite. An injury is always a kind of blight on these uh, these guys, depending on when those injuries happen. I don't think he's become the sort of Jeremy Guscott we thought he would be, that lovely kind of gliding outside uh, break in, in that uh, 13 channel that, that Jonathan has got. So it's, I don't think it's too late for the World Cup, but he's got a, he's got a fair amount of ground to make up, although England are far from settled in, in the centre. So uh, there are openings there for sure. Pool three, Saracens, uh, first and only team after five rounds to make the quarters. Uh, workman-like win in Lyon, never easy to go to France. No. Billy Paul is a back, important. Uh, absolutely, and I think Billy, uh, you know, was was understandably tentative last week on his first game back, and apparently was much more the kind of Billy, the decisive figure in France yesterday. And Mako is playing terrifically well, you know, both what he has improved, and you'd know far more about it than than I. He's improved his set piece yeah, sort of skills. Yeah. He, he's and o- sort of Sinclair. Yeah, yeah, very well, importantly, actually. Yeah, they've really needed to. Okay, and, so, and, and they have. And they, if they have, as you said they have, and I'm, that seems to my kind of more and less tutored eye, that's the case. Their open field skills are, are, are really important for, for a side, aren't they? Mako, again, every week you hear about his, his kind of offloading and all the rest of it. So that, that, though, that's a real asset. I mean, Saracens, you know, there's a lot of kind of belly aching about English clubs and not, not delivering, not performing in Europe and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of slightly self-pitching thing about it. Saracens just get on with it, you know. I mean, they're 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 subject to the same kind of restraints as all the other English clubs. Yeah, if you just get good players together and and as we said with Leinster, tutor them well, train them well, coach them well, good practice becomes the order of the day at your club. Then there you go, you know, time well, and again. Pool five with Edinburgh. We'll be speaking to Rory Lawson, so we'll leave that for a second. Pool four, Scarlets and Leinster both out. Both big clubs have done a lot in the past yeah. and in Europe. Yeah. This year, how do you account for how poor they've been? Well, I suppose Leicester, Leicester just began so poorly and had that kind of whole sort of uh, debate as to whether Jordan Murphy would carry on all that kind of... Obviously, we, they, they were always backing him, but, I mean, it's taken them three, three months to get over the first week of the season when Matt O'Connor was sacked. So I saw the, the Racing games, actually, and in Paris there was just that first sign of... Uh, a bit of fight coming back into them and they've, they've had a couple of decent performances in the Premiership since then. So I think this is just playing out the kind of opening gambit. Scarlet's great shame to, to see, really. Clenethley as before were, were, were the great Welsh standard bearers and it still is the great conundrum of, of how Wales have never managed to win a, a European Cup and yet the national side is, is pretty productive on that front across the Six Nations over the last decade. I mean, that that is... Something that really has to be solved, how they, they continue to, to come up short. And talking about versatility, Ken Owens playing yeah. at number eight. Yeah. Yeah. Could I have done that? No, but I did play at <laughs> Flanker for England. Yes, and? 
<laughs> you can't just claim claim the shirt and not tell us what happened. Uh, oh, it was against um, Samoa in the World Cup in '95. Okay, loads of people got injured. Well, I had to go, and I haven't played there since the first year of of uh, senior school. And did you push in the scrum? Of course I did. Yeah, good. Obviously, it was propping. Can't remember. No, it wouldn't have been. Would have been Rendell. No, he'd have finished by then. It would yeah. have been Jason and who else would it have been? There's a question. Victor. Okay. Might yeah. be Victor. Hopefully, they gave you a bit, saying you know. Put no, that shoulder no, no, in. Ulster Racing, uh, yeah. vital victory, chance of getting through. Form's dipped a bit recently. Uh, how far behind the big two Leinster and Munster are they? Well, I think Leinster and Munster have got the sort of, uh, they've got the kind of support, they've got the cachet. They've, they've got, got the, better players, they've got, Exactly. I mean, they've got the current stars, haven't they? You know, yeah. so it's um, that, that's what's playing out. I think Ulster are, I mean, I, I really love going there. They're a tremendous kind of setup. you know, Raven Hill, as it used to be called, the Kingspan now is is on a Friday night. It was a, was a real terror visit for in Europe for, for visiting sides. You know, I've seen many a, saw many a side sort of tumble and topple there. Now I think I think Ulster, are, you know, that that's a good win against Racing. You know, because yeah. Racing is stacked full of uh, of international players and all the rest of it. So again, it's the success story of the moment, which is Irish rugby. Well, we haven't covered Pool 2, but we will now because, very pleased to say, we can speak to Rob Baxter, the Exeter Chiefs Director of Rugby. Hello, Rob. Hi, Brian. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. Jack Noel, fullback. New position? Yes and no. Uh, He's played a little bit of fullback on and off over the last few seasons for us when required, and he actually started in our academy as a fullback. So it's not something he's, he's completely alien to. And probably as you saw, you know, we we picked him at centre a couple of times as well. England also tried him in midfield. You know, he's a he is a guy who's pretty comfortable playing in, in a variety of positions. And I think, you know, for for a multi-talented player like Jack, I think the the move between wing to fullback is not is like I say because of his experience is not a big deal for him. And and obviously, it, it got him involved in the game yesterday. And that's the important thing with Jack. The important thing with Jack is to get him touches on the ball, and then he can have a real influence on the game. Before we go into the uh, monster showdown specifically. Is there any difference, and if so, what is it in a week preparing for Europe in comparison to the Premiership? Well, I, I would like to say not a lot of difference because I think actually consistency of approach and consistency of, of your systems and how you play and how you train and how you, you try and develop and improve as a side and as a group of individual players, that needs like this, does need some consistency of approach. I think sometimes, pro- probably for us, what we've, what we've got wrong sometimes is that is that mentally we've maybe seen things in a game that we have to deal with or we think are going to be different. And actually then how we action that, so how we actually try and deal with those different things, we've probably got wrong a little bit. So, so a perfect example is you, know, you are working with a, a, refer- a referee you won't have seen very much. You are going to be playing against a team you haven't played that much against. There is an expectation when you play some certain teams that they're very much aiming to peak for those games. Well, you know, still the best way to deal with that is to work within your systems and work with the talents you've got and work with your capabilities, but to the best of your ability. And I think because that's how a team functions, a team functions on, on how the parts knit together, as well as how, how individual players then expand on top of that with the, with the talented moments they have. And I think sometimes we've probably put in what you describe as our worst like mechanical performances because the bits of our game, so the pieces of our game, which is basically the players, haven't quite knitted together within our game plan as well, because actually how they felt or how they dealt with those different things has not been 
to, to necessarily to what makes the team perform the best. If you show I me, mean, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a little bit like it's more the more how we react to something that's different is probably an issue. That, other than the fact it's different, it is a little bit different. But it's the reaction to that difference that's the important thing to get right. What I mean, obviously, Munster at home, and you've given yourself a, a crack at still qualifying, which, as you said yesterday, was was absolutely what you're after. Are you yourself? Uh, quite apart from all the technical kind of detail of the match, are you relishing the opportunity for Exeter to actually show what they're about? Because Europe has been a disappointment for you, hasn't it, across the last sort of four or five years? You, you've, you've not quite, I wouldn't say from the outside, done what you'd like to do and what certainly your premiership form suggests you are. So are you relishing going to Toman, where it's very, very difficult historically to win, to actually show what you're about? I am, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it for the challenge that it lays down to us as a team and, and to our individual players. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing which players go over there and during this week prepare well and then thrive in that in that situation. I think that's very important to, to see that. But I'm, I'm also looking forward to it from a, a simpler reason, really. You know, I'm a, I, I play rugby and I'm a rugby supporter and a rugby fan as well. And, you know, I remember watching some incredible games involving Munster over the years in the Heineken Cup and you know, when when you start to qualify for the Heineken Cup uh, and you start to become involved in the team that's in the Heineken Cup, going and playing Munster is one of those one of those things that we should be relishing. And and strangely, you know, we've we've been avoiding them and avoiding them and avoiding them for years and years and years. And so much so much so that we actually decided to go over there in pre-season this year because it looked like you know I knew some of our supporters wanted to play against Munster. I wanted us to play against Munster and go and watch and and go and support over there. That they had been talking about it a while. Our players had talked about. How good it would be to go and play against Munster. So we actually finally arranged to play them in the in pre-season, and then the season we organised pre-season game, we, we ah. brought them in the Heineken Cup. So we're we're really looking forward to it and to go and play at Common Park on a. And it, it's not it's not a straight knockout. Of course, it's not no. because There's a losing bonus, bonus point yeah. is is going to be enough for them unless unless we get five points. But it's as close to a knockout as you can get, and that you know to go into the last round away a Saturday evening. There's so many reasons why. We can make it a memorable night for us, but there's also so many reasons why it'll be a huge, a huge test of our character as well. It's, it's going to be very exciting for and us. The two, the two day uh, extra that they've got in terms of rest rather than preparation. I mean, it's, it's the rest. I mean, it's, it's, it's not ideal, is it? No, and I think it's probably one of those things that probably a TV schedule probably should pay a little bit more attention to because I imagine that this got didn't even get thought of that there was the potential for a. A final round, almost winner takes all, and actually the TV schedule has handed one team a huge advantage. With, you know, not just one day's extra prep and rest, rest and recovery with two days. Um, but there you go. That that that's what it is. We've got to deal with that. And in some ways, now we've got to we've got to switch that to be a positive for us and mean that actually we have we have a, a short, sharp training week, and actually a lot of our focus is on getting ourselves mentally and physically refreshed and. And ready to pour ourselves into into you know a bit of an all or nothing game for us. So we we've, we've got to try and swing that round in our favour. Um, and as I said, you know we'll, we'll start that process tomorrow morning when the when the guys come in after having today off. Rob, I was surprised in the news that Santi Cadero is off because of the salary cap. Now, how how difficult is it to find the right calibre of player within your budget? It's difficult because. I could say it's potentially not difficult because you know we we could we could shift and change how our squad is built and how it's organised. But if you if you just do the basic maths of staying within the salary cap, if you want to go out and spend lots of money on 
players, then your squad is, has to become smaller. And then as you have international call-ups and injuries, you can leave yourself in a scenario where you're overplaying some players, you're not getting value for money out of other players, you're stretching you know, into the use of your academy way too early instead of, instead of bringing your academy through as they're showing form, form and as they're ready. You start to have to turn to them in emergency situations. That puts, puts them under pressure. So it's not it's not that you can't afford to to find players. It's just how you build a squad and how you keep a squad that can potentially fight on, on across three competitions, but can also get you there because it, because ultimately there's no there's no point there's no point having 15 players that can win a Heineken Cup or 15 players that can win a Premiership final if you just don't get there. And I think it's that balance. It's the balance of being able to get to the big games and have some consistency and develop your academy the way you want, that that is the juggling match. And Santi is a perfect example of perhaps of exactly how you should want a player to move on. He came to us as someone who was looking for rugby and looking to get into a frontline competition, came into us on some injury dispensation, did very well. We managed to keep him for the following year. And his performances have just attracted a lot of interest where the, the finances now, they don't work for as well as they did 18 months ago when we first brought him in. And that's, I, don't have, I don't really have a problem with that. I think it's how you should want your business to work. You should want other people to want your players and want your staff um, because that proves you're doing things right. And if, if that means there's, a, there's an element of turnover, then so be it. But I'd, I'd rather that than, than nobody want our players and nobody want our staff because that shows you're not doing a very good job. Could I just ask you finally, I mean, as you know, there are calls from certain clubs to either extend the salary cap considerably or remove it altogether. If that happened, what do you think Exeter would do? How would they cope? Well, we would. We actually wouldn't do anything different to the we've to we've always done. M- most of the time, till until the last few years, uh, we've never even got close to the salary cap anyway. So from the when we first came into Premiership, I had a budget and we we paid to the budget and we built our team around that. And it's only it's only as our business at Sandy Park has progressed and as we bought P shares that allowed us to have a a proper share of um, Premiership. Uh, revenue, etc., that we've actually been able to slowly build up to where we're we're paying around salary caps. So we would do the same thing. You know, we would we would spend to the budget that we can afford as a viable business, and we go out business that way. It, that's just how it would be. Now that would probably make us um, less competitive than than teams who've got backers who are prepared to lose a lot of money. But that's just the story of an awful lot of sporting businesses. Is that you know if 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 you can lose money and afford to lose money you're in a different position to one that's, that's run as a business. So things wouldn't massively change for us. I think if the salary cap was going to change, one way we would probably proactively endorse it changing would be a little bit more uh, allowance for your academy players within the salary cap because that's, some, that's an area that hasn't really changed for a long time. There's a maximum salary that an academy player can be paid before they move into counting in your senior cap. Um, and actually, because that figure hasn't moved for so long, it's actually a little bit behind the times on on far as player pay scales go, really. And I think that would be one significant change where it would allow you just to work with your academy players for a little bit longer on probably a, a salary that was a little bit more attractive to them and keep them within your group as homegrown players and academy players without massively causing a shift in the movement of players from club to club or that challenge of of being outbidded for your own players. And I think I think there are some there are some relatively sensible things that could be done within the, the salary cap which wouldn't necessarily overly financially stress every club in the competition. 
Rob, we've got to leave it there, but can I wish you all the best uh, against Munster and just add my congratulations to the work, considerable work that you and your coaching team have done with Exeter throughout the years. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Brian. Yeah, cheers, Rob. Rob Baxter, Exeter Chiefs Director of Rugby, yeah. doing a very good job. Oh, fantastic. It, it's, it, it, I love going down there, a uh, long way that it is, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's just an absolute model of what you'd want a professional rugby club to be. They're very serious in what they do, but they've also got a sense of perspective about everything. You know, they've, they've built the business first and foremost to make sure it pays its way. And they have a bit of fun down there. I think, you know, they don't pay the highest, but it, it has got its own kind of identity and, and, and heartbeat. And, and Rob is absolutely epitomises all, all that's good about, um, about the club and the area. Well, interesting that he sort of ruled himself out in advance for the next England uh, yeah, coaching he, job. But Eddie Jones is yeah. going to reveal his Six Nations squad during the week. Yeah, and I would say... and. It, this is not um, rocket science. It's the most important Six Nations for not just England, but for all the teams, yeah. you know, preparing for the World Cup. And therefore, to me, this should be as close as he knows or can get subject to injuries, form and other Correct. things, to the World Cup squad. Now, I know that some Ruby writers disagree with me. What's your view? I would agree. Um, and not just because you're only sitting a, a yard or so away from me. I, I think it's bound to be, really. I mean, what's... Um, Injury has sort of shaped his hand, Eddie Jones's hand, as it shaped a few other coaches, obviously down the last two or three years. Touchwood, I think those injury concerns are seem to be easing. Sam Underhill is going to be missing, which is a great, great shame because you'd love to see Underhill, you know, get two years of, of virtually uninterrupted rugby, which is which is just not had. And obviously, Tom Curry is is a bit younger than Underhill, and and he's had a fine, fine start to his own career. But by and large, all the other he's going to have, I think more or less the players available to him that he, that he would want to pick. And therefore, his whatever he names on Thursday, 32, 34-man squad, ought to be the guys. He's got 31 for the World Cup. That will be there. And as you know, it's always those three or four either side of that cutoff point that, that provide the interest, really. He, he would know for definite 25, 26, 27 of the squad he wants to take to Japan. And bearing in mind, obviously, there are still problems in the back row because of injuries. Yes, Centres and back three, which still are not finalised. Yeah, they're not. You know, I, I was chatting with Mike Brown the other day for an interview. I mean, I, I don't know, even though I had cause to, to, to criticise Mike Brown over the last few years about passing or not passing, as, as the case may be, I still really like him as a fullback. I don't think Elliot Daly has shown that he has all the attributes you need as a fullback, fine footballer that he is. To me, he's always been an outside centre daily, and, and that's where I would have played him for the last but he's three not years. He picked his outside centre. No, but that's where he wants to, yeah, that's where he, that's where he plays for Wass, and that's kind of where he is. In terms of high ball, I just, I haven't seen him really dominate that kind of area, the, the way that Mike Brown does, and that to me is a worry. You can't, for all the attack you can, if you can't get up there and claim 80%, 85% of those contestable kicks. They're, they're going to be good kicks in a World Cup. They're not going to be sort of gimmies, are they? So no. you've got to have a guy like Brown that can do it. So I, I would uh, return to Brown. I'm not sure he will, but I mean, it, it, I think he's, he's playing well, Mike Brown. When there was a poll after the Autumn Internationals that the Telegraph mm. did and the public could choose their team, it was interesting because they went for the power, power back of Teo two lying in the centres, and yeah. Thogan Senior on a wing. Yeah. That must be what, of all the experience, and I don't think 
he has time now. No. Time is gone to, 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 to make many experiments. But this one, because of the potential reward that it might bring, is probably the only one that I think he should make. Yeah, I'd agree with those centres. I think Manu certainly, you know, just... Because I think Teo is underrated, actually. Uh, yeah, I do as well. Yeah, no, I think he's got good feet. Again, he's not a guy that's played, a, certainly not for Worcester, a, a string of games together that you well, can see. You don't play so many years in the NRL and not be able to distribute no, no, no. the ball. And I think he showed on the, on, the, on the Lions as well. He's got good feet and, and uh, can, do a, can do a job there with, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think it's, you know, if it's Teo and, and, and Tuilangi in the centres, I wouldn't have a problem... With that at all, Thocken the singer. I'd love to see him there, but I'm not sure I trust him yet as a starter. I mean, it's 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 the usual thing of, of defensive potential f- flaws and frailties there, you know. And England have got a good. And of all of, the positions, England have got a reasonable crop. They've of got wingers, a good crop of wing, and we just spoke about Jack Noel, who obviously played at fullback. Noel was a sensational yesterday against a decent cast of their top fourteen champions. So of course, they're a good side, even if they slipped off a few tackles, you know. So he's. You're right. The wing, the back three. Even if he hasn't settled on his 15, he's actually got options there, hasn't he? He has. And I suppose when you're looking at the uh, the pack, obviously the back row situation is slightly fluid because of various people being unavailable. I just want to talk finally about the second rows. Mm. You've got some very experienced second rows. They keep being chopped and changed and people shoved into blindside flanker. Now, I am never in favour of playing a player out of position no. unless you really have to. No, I'm not. Even if you did perform brilliantly in your uh, stint against Samoa as, as a Absolutely. flanker. Um, no, I'm, um, But I know I'd agree with you. I, I don't think that at all. It, it's it's a sign of weakness almost that you haven't got an out-and-out out six that you can say, right, you know, this is our this is our Richard Hill. This is our... Well, if Rob Shaw had been fit and carried on the form that he showed yeah. immediately after the World Cup, then that would be sorted. It probably would be you know as ever with advancing years that you've got to maintain that kind of standard because work rate is everything for for Rob Shaw isn't he if he's if he's not if he's kind of two percent off physically and you know, I've no reason to wonder that he would be you know he's, he's lost that effectiveness but Brad you know he's, he's still not settled on it has he at all in terms no. of who he wants there and how, how he wants it you know but at least now he's got the option of Billy Vunapola there I think that was always sort of Taxi in his mind in terms of that kind of makeup selection. When you've got Villipona fit and able to get over that gain line at will almost, that makes all the other selections a little bit easier around them. Well, let's return to Europe because we've got on the line a regular contributor to the podcast. Pleased to speak to him again. It's Rory Lawson, the former Edinburgh and Scotland scrum half. Hello, Rory. Hi, Brian. Will both Scottish sides make it through? This is a big question, isn't it? Well, it's a good question, and I guess we don't have to wait too long to, to find out the answer, which is great. But I think, from, from my perspective, it's, it's hugely exciting to have both Scottish sides in the Champions Cup in the hunt for, for quarter-final qualification going into the final round. And I think they, they deserve it. I think, uh, starting with Richard Cockrell's Edinburgh side, had anybody suggested they would exit a group into the quarter-finals including Toulon, Montpellier, two giants of French rugby, and Newcastle, who obviously came into this season having had an outstanding uh, season last year, they probably would have been laughed at. Uh, so the way that his side have gone about their work, they could have been five by five, uh, five, five from five. They had picked up that win in Montpellier, um, but they're 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 looking very very good. They're playing with confidence. They've won a run of games now and. 
they, they're a site to have a real blend of, of structure, uh, go about the work incredibly well. They've got a strong set piece and they've got, they've got a, a bit of X factor in there, which they showed at the weekend. From Glasgow, I think they're, they're in a good position as well. They, you know, we're not sure whether they need to pick something up down at Saracens, but um, it's certainly a challenge for them to go down there. But again, in the hunt, they went about their business yesterday. They got the five points they needed. And it's, it's terrific for Scottish rugby. Richard Cockerell, bearing in mind what happened or didn't happen at Toulon, uh, what are you hearing about his impact? What are you hearing about um, what he's doing specifically to have turned Edinburgh around? You know, I, I, I hold my hands up and say that I, I was a bit sceptical when I, I saw that uh, Richard Cockerell had been named as, as head coach of Edinburgh because one thing for me with Scottish players is that you don't have to necessarily tell them to, to try harder. But I think he's brought a real hard edge to this Edinburgh side. Uh, the the building blocks were there with the with the squad that he had, but then I think he's brought that 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 killer instinct and an understanding where you tie in you tie in the effort with the hard edge, with going through your processes and sticking to what you're good at. And there have been a lot of people who have said that you know Edinburgh stick to what what they do and 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 what they do well and it's there's been a sort of negative twinge to that comment but actually what when you strip it back he's got a strong pack you look at the front five and you've got an all scottish front row there uh, albeit with um an, an all international front row with with pierre schumann coming in who for me will will pick up honors further down the line he's an excellent addition um and it's another thing that richard cockerel should be congratulated on is his recruitment his, his second rowers Gilchrist and Toulis two Scottish guys who Richard Cockrell has got the best out of and then you look at the back row uh, Jamie Ritchie and Hamish Watson both Scottish internationalists and then the X Factor of Bill Matter and for anybody who's not seen Bill Matter's offload for James Johnson's try at the weekend just look at it because it was it was truly world class. Pretty, um, av- pretty I, average was how Cockrell described yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he sees that all the time in training from Mata. Yeah. But um, you know, I saw um, uh, for any, anybody else can only dream of an offload like that, holding it in his in his left hand and might, managing to find a way to get that ball away. And James Johnson did brilliantly to to gather it and, and scuttle in from 50 meters out, but. Um, I think for me, I, I really like the, the balance that he has in his team at the moment. He's got two halfbacks who know how to play the game. I think Henry Pergos has, has really settled into that role. He's a leader. He understands the time that the backs get front football and, and have the opportunity to play, but also the time to, to put his foot on the ball and, and give get the carrot in front of his, his forward pack. And with Blair Kinghorn and Darcy Graham and both centres, Dean and uh, James Johnson have been terrific. Uh, Duhan van der Merwe on the wing. For me, there's, there's threats everywhere. And it's the confidence that he's brought to this side that, that is seeing them flourish. Well, at least with Cockrell at Edinburgh and Lancaster at uh, Leinster, England are having some influence in this uh, European competition, at least, uh, even if the clubs are. I was up uh, seeing Richard last week, actually, last Wednesday. I had a, a good time with him in terms of an interview. He, he really, uh, everything you've said is true. He's, he's, he's brought that kind of hard edge, and I thought that was there in Toulon on, 
on on Saturday. You know, it's, uh, and what uh, Glasgow are obviously also going well, and they have been, you know, as uh, Cockersford told me last week, the darlings of the Scottish scene. And Edinburgh were considered the runt of the litter when he when he took over, and he's just got more 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 out of them. In terms of the two together, then I mean that that's that's great news for Gregor Townsend, isn't it? You know, it, the the level that they the two teams are competing at in Europe suggests that Scotland also. And I know the it's not a simple equation translating club form into international arena, but when there are only two teams feeding into that big thing and one or two from outside, that must be encouraging for Gregor as well, Rory. Yeah, I think hugely encouraging. I think from my perspective, when you look at it, I always believe that. And everyone talks about it, the, the step from club rugby week to week, whether it's Premiership or Pro 14 or Top 14 to the European Champions Cup, that step is a big, big step. And while Edinburgh and Glasgow have been very competitive in the Pro 14 in, in the past few years, that, that hasn't necessarily translated into Europe. Um, and I think with regards to that being a, a stepping stone, having the confidence of big European performances to take into the Six Nations is is very, very good. And as you touched on, when you've only got the two professional sides, it's very important that they are playing well and that the individuals within them are playing well. And I think Gregor Townsend has that. And when you add in the likes of Finn Russell at Racing 92 and the likes of Greg, Greg Laidlaw at Clermont to that equation, then we are, we're in a good spot. Albeit, I say that, a little bit timidly because I've seen it in years gone by whereby we've had autumn international form and we've had individuals who are right on top of their, their game in the club scene and it's not necessarily transferred week one of Six Nations. But I view this year as being very different. The way that the fixtures have fallen and the the way that Scotland and the Scottish players and coaches are developing is hugely encouraging. Well, we won't have long to find out Rory, leave it there, but thank you for speaking to us. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Rory Lawson, the former Edinburgh and Scotland scrum half. Very shortly, we'll be talking women's rugby, a sensational game between the top two sides, and we'll be able to speak to Alex Osterbury, the Saracens women's head coach. Mick, do you follow the women's game much? I mean... It's not a criticism if you don't, because you're week to week, day to day involved in 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 the men's game, so no, it's very I, difficult. I, I don't, and that's a sort of um, obviously I would have the option, but it's very difficult, isn't it? When you say week to week, you've got high profile Premiership games and uh, high profile European games. But I'd l- listen, I, I, the, the success of the women's game over the last fifteen twenty years has been terrific, really. And and much as we don't often praise the RFU, they've been the forefront of promoting it really uh, from sort of about 15 years ago they've they've you'd have thought maybe there might be a bit stuffy conservative reactionary about it and and be dragged kicking and screaming but not you know and and you've seen obviously there've been one or two kind of uh, little glitches but the fact that they've now got all these full-time contracts as well and the first to do so is is admirable and and you what you're seeing now underneath all that is is that kind of next generation uh, as well sort of pushing to to come through because they've got something to aim for Time now to go to the Tyrells Premier 15s, the women's game. The big clash over the weekend was first versus second, and what a game it turned out to be. Saracens versus Harlequins. Pleased to say we've got Alex Osterbury, Saracens women's head coach, on the line to talk about that. Hello, Alex. 
Hi there, Brian. How are you? I'm okay. Trailing by 16 points, going into the final five minutes, what do you? What were you honestly thinking? Hmm. To be honest, we were just trying to find a way to get something from the game. A lot of hard work and endeavour had gone into the performance, but we'd not really ever got found a foothold. So it's a case of, can we get here with a you know, losing bonus point? Or could we or probably... Can we try get that you know, second losing bonus point through the through the well through getting the try bonus? Uh, so they were honestly what we we're looking to do. So we opened up a little bit, and uh, yeah, it proved to be uh, more beneficial than we thought. And we ended up, you know, getting a dramatic win at the end. So yeah, realistically, it was a case of let's just get something from the fixture, and we ended up getting uh, a lot more than we were probably expecting. Well, a testament obviously to the spirit in the squad to keep going at that particular stage. But was there an element? Do you think? of Quinn's getting uh, you know, attack of the nerves because they obviously appreciated how big the game was and they probably thought they'd won it. Uh, no, I, I think Quinn's were, were certainly not complacent. I think they kept on uh, fighting and doing things. I just thought that probably the energy and impact that uh, our bench brought to the game when they came on probably was the, was the difference in those last few minutes. So I certainly don't think it was a case of Quinn's thinking it was a job done. I just think it was a case that we came with a uh, kind of a new self-belief, like you say, a lot of character uh, and the, the players that came onto field just gave us that little bit of extra push that uh, got us over the line uh, right at the end. Well, there's a little bit of a gap uh, occurring between you and the rest of the sides, although Quinns and Loughborough Lightning are still relatively close. How confident are you now at this stage of the season that you've the wherewithal to see this through? Certainly, we, we, again, we're, we're not going to be complacent in any way. We, we put ourselves in a very good position. We've still got some big fixtures to come. Uh, we're starting with Hartbury this week, but also we've got Loughborough after the Six Nations break as well. So it's certainly far from done and dusted. But what we have done is given ourselves a position that we control our destiny. And if we can keep on performing, uh, keep on executing, then uh, then uh, we'll see what their table looks like at the end of the end of the season. But ultimately, we, we're quite happy now that we've uh, we've confirmed our kind of place in the playoffs. The next push is ensuring that we. We win next week and keep building towards ensuring a, a home playoff. And then ultimately, at the end of the season, can we be sat top of the league, uh, then going into those playoffs. So still a lot of work to be done, but we, we're in a very good position. And, uh, and that's testament to the hard work that uh, all the players are putting in. The way in which the men's teams in the Premiership are affected by the international is quite uneven, with some sides losing many players, some sides losing far fewer. What's it like overall in the uh, women's Premiership? It's just it's slightly different in that um, we don't play as many fixtures, uh, league fixtures during uh, the international period. Um, so we only actually played one during Autumn Internationals, uh, and that was against Loughborough actually. So it was, it was a big table where both teams were probably equally affected by the number of internationals that were unavailable. Um, but during the Six Nations, it's just our development sides that play. Um, so the league isn't necessarily as impacted as uh, as much as it is in the men's uh, men's format. When you see the effect that the initiative from the RFU have had to form this league and the professional contracts. How far away do you think the women's game is from being able to establish the stepping and the path from when girls have to stop playing mixed junior rugby at 11 and thereafter being able to play each year group up till 18 without having to travel huge distances? How far away? Because to me, when that happens, the women's game will take a massive leap, probably unlike anything that's actually gone before and needs to be done, but it's, and I understand it's difficult. How far away are they from that? To be fair, um, my previous job was involved in the performance pathway, so I've got quite a good grasp on, on kind of the grassroots of the game. And I would say that the, 
the kind of the strides that have been made for made in the under 13s area of the of the girls game are huge increased numbers there uh, and that by increased numbers and obviously the success of the, the 15s and obviously the Olympics uh, having sevens involved there has been a growth of the game and there are a lot of numbers uh, more numbers playing which means that those don't have to travel as big a distances those players will move up through to the 15s and 18s I think with some time off having an age group at 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, etc. But I think the growth of the under-13 game will, and, and the under-15 game will drive the under-18 game, which means that, that players will not have to travel huge distances for, you know, to, to play the game that they love. And I think we, we are in a good place. We can be in a better place. And I think over the next few years, kind of off the back of the, the 2014 success, the back of the reaching the final in 2017 and just the growth and, and the interest in, in the, the women and girls game, I think we'll see quite big strides made there quite quickly. Alex, that's uh, great. Um, can you come back and speak to us later on in the season? Oh, I'd love to do that. would be fantastic. Tremendous. That's Alex Osterbury, the Saracens women's head coach. Before we uh, finish, Mick, let's just turn to the Six Nations. Mm. England away in Dublin for the first one. Now, I don't know whether it's a good time or a bad time. England used to be very notoriously slow starters to the Six Nations. Can't afford to be that this time. But funnily enough, I think because of the strength and the position that Ireland, Scotland, Wales, to a certain extent France, mm. are in at the moment, pre-World Cup, this is probably a Six Nations where if you were to perform well but lose you know, narrow, narrowly in mm. games, that actually, although you won't like that, although head coaches won't like that, that won't be too bad, but you cannot afford to be gubbed anywhere, can you? No, but I, I think it's a great start for England because that for the first time in years, really, they're not expected to win. So, you know, and in a World Cup year where you've got to perform away from home in difficult sort of circumstances, whatever that might be in a World Cup, it's, it's alien territory for everybody I know, but you've got to perform, you know, and they are knockout games. And England's pool in the World Cup is tight, you know, with France and Argentina, with that Tonga, whatever, but France and Argentina are eminently capable of of beating England. So you've got to deliver. So you've got to go to Dublin and show what you're about. So I think actually, particularly after a promising autumn, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for England to show to show what they're about. I'd be surprised if they if they won, but the ramifications that if they were to win are, are enormous for, for, for 2019. I mean, Ireland must obviously start as favourites. Of course. Do you think they can do the lot again? Oh, wow. You know, it, the good thing about the Six Nations, actually, is... There's always a surprise. It, always. Uh, but also, they're a competitive side. We've just been speaking about the, 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 the Scottish sides in, the, in, in Europe. You know, Wales have got a, a, a very good sort of uh, squad and, and, and chances. France are France, as we know. Poor old Italy will have to leave again, uh, to one side. I know. But, I mean, there are, there are four prime challenges there, probably five if you count... France could do it. So, so no, it's, it's, you know, I'm not even sure there'd be a surprise. I think it's, you know, that they're, they're all, they're playing at a certain level with Ireland just deservedly out in front for what they achieved uh, last year. I mean, it's it, actually relishing it, even, even somebody who's been through a few uh, incarnations of the, the five and the six nations. It, it's, it's shaping up to be as good and as interesting and intriguing and uh, exciting as, as, as any in recent years. And let's finish off very quickly with Europe. Tillman Park. Do you yeah. think Exeter will do it? No, which is probably the written-off spur that they kind of need. But that's what I was trying to say to Rob Baxter. Actually, you know, we've not really seen the Exeter in Europe 
that we've seen no. seen in domestic competitions at, at various stages. You know, when they beat Saracens to win the title, and all that the odd. Exactly. Tremendous and and you actually want to see them go there because Munster are obviously a fine side and Toman Park is Toman Park and all that kind of stuff. But they're really, not the invincibles they were, correct. are they? Nowhere near it. Uh, not nowhere near it. No, that's a bit, bit, bit too strong. But they're not. And therefore, Exeter, given their pedigree, the fact they're riding up at the top end of the Premiership yet again alongside Saracens, they ought to be able to go there and put in a performance. Listen, the five-day turnaround is is, is that tricky. That is a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, sorry, it's a six-day turnaround, but I mean, there's this two-day differential in it, yeah. which is which could be really because they're going to need everything. They're going to need what they showed against Castra uh, and another fifteen percent to win down there. But if listen, if they should, that could set them up for a long, long time in Europe if they can come away from there with a result. It'll be incredibly difficult for them but I mean but the, and I expect Munster to win but I mean I would not be surprised if there were a Chiefs performance that uh, that says something else Well that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph Thank you to my co-host Mick Cleary and as always my producer Abby Patterson Please do subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you haven't done already But now Mick and I are going to get dressed because we're off to the Rugby Writers Dinner which is usually quite a sober affair, so um, we'll be... (laughs) And worse behaviour only. Exactly. So we will be back next week. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.